How do we walk as Christians in our daily lives? The letter of James offers us practical lessons on what to say and what to do as Christians. That's why at Bellwether we're doing a series on James and we're calling it Our Walk because we want to walk by faith. We want your Christian faith to change your walk. I'm really excited to be here, and I'm really honored and, and humbled by the privilege of, of preaching today and being a part of your celebration service this morning, that the confidence that John has in me to allow me to come in his absence and to uh, preach this morning. Uh, John goes back with us to the early days of Mission Mississippi when he was a student, and I've uh, been a part of that since the early part of Mission Mississippi. Mission Mississippi has been around for 21 years, and this year we're celebrating 21 years of changing Mississippi one relationship at a time. Uh, I want you to look at the picture. I want you to look into the eyes of those young ladies, uh, or what I believe to be young ladies, maybe a boy and a girl. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not sure. Somebody sent me that picture several years ago, and uh, when I first got it, you know, you get a lot of these emails and texts and other things about different things, and so they knew I was in racial relations, so they sent me this and thought, what a beautiful picture, and I looked at it, and I said, great, and I put it away, and, and, and I was thumbing through my files one day, and I looked at the picture, and I began to look at the eyes, and what I saw was sincerity. I saw purity. I saw openness. I saw expectation. I saw innocence. All of those things I see if I look into the eyes of, and really the, 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 the African-American kid is, is really looking with great expectations. And, and, and the young white girl is, is looking with him or her to, to say, I'm expecting as well. And so as, as I think about that, and, and the caption says, choose your friends by their character and your socks by their color. Choosing, choosing your, uh, your socks by their character makes no sense. And choosing your friends by their color is unthinkable. And so as we think about race relations and the history of race relations in Mississippi, I thought that was a great caption, and I thought that was a great picture of how things ought to look in the body of Christ. Uh, the, the vision of Mission Mississippi is simply be a, a, a catalyst and a resource for Christian racial reconciliation and healing in Mississippi and the world. I'll say that again. Uh, Mission Mississippi want to be a catalyst and a resource for Christian racial reconciliation and healing in Mississippi and the world. Did I get it right? And, and, and so with that, people say, uh, go ahead and put the mission statement up there. The mission statement says to simply encourage and to demonstrate unity in the body of Christ across racial and denominational lines that communities throughout Mississippi can understand the gospel message. I like to add this twist to it. See practical evidence of the gospel message. And so many times and oftentimes people will say, what do you all do? And, and, and before I can answer, you ever have people that come up to you and they already got the answer to the question they asked you and they don't give you a chance to answer the question? Well, many times they'll come up to me and say, well, what do y'all do with Nettie? I know that you all pray together. Y'all have these prayer breakfasts every Tuesday and Thursday morning here in Jackson. And you got a prayer network across the state. You connect with pastors. You build relationships across the racial line and the denominational line. You get people together and you have dialogue and talk about racial issues. And, and you help people understand how to build a relationship with each other how to listen to each other, how to learn from each other. And I know that y'all had these big events. Y'all pray for the governor, y'all pray for the mayor, and then you have a celebration banquet and you'll do all these wonderful things, get people together. What do y'all do? 
Well, if you didn't get it, that's what we do. <laughs> and, and most people are, are participating in that and be a part of that and don't get it. Here's the challenge for Bellwether this morning. Here's the challenge. Mission Mississippi is challenging the Christian community and the body of Christ to act like Christians. Wow, that's deep in it. That's like, I was looking for something more profound than that. We, we're looking for Christians, those that say they love Jesus, those that say they are part of the Christian family and the Christian community, act like who they say they are. John 34 and 35 simply says, a new commandment I give you that you would love one another as I have loved you that they will know that you are my disciples. And so we're just trying to get people to, to know that we are Christians by the way we treat one another. And you know the history of, of race relations in Mississippi, and a lot of people say, well, y'all spent too much time in the past, and, and one of the problems with spending time in the past is that we've not healed from the past, and the past keep coming up. Ferguson, Virginia, I mean, Ferguson, Missouri is one example of the past keep coming up. Get this picture. He, here, here's a young black man has been taught from his childhood that a white man with a gun is out to get you, and you need to defend yourself. Any way you can, you need to get out of that situation. And here's a white man that has been taught, young black men are angry, and they're going to get you. And here's a man with a gun, and the man keeps coming even though he has a gun. Now just get a picture and think about that situation for a moment. Both people think life and death situations, and that's what happens. When I was growing up in Tunica County, I was raised on a plantation there in Tunica County. When I was growing up, my parents taught me not only to be competitive and, and, and compete, with skills, but they taught me survival skills. And one of the things lacking in our society today is both survival skills and co competent skills. What, what are you talking about when it's uh, uh, survival skills? When I was growing up in the racial heat of the 50s and 60s, my parents taught me when you see authority, you respect it. You obey it. Even though the person may not be the kind of person should be an authority, but they hold the authority, so you need to respect it. And, and, and regardless of what the circumstance is, if you're stopped by the law, what you want to do is to get through that situation with minimal effect on your life. Follow the instructions of the person that's giving you the direction and get through it. If there's something that happens that shouldn't happen, we can deal with that later, but now you need to get through the situation. We call that survival skills where I come from. And so our society today is, 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 is filled of, of people that don't respect authority, don't, don't think about authority. And so Mission Mississippi goal in life is for us to show people how to treat one another, to show people how to love one another, show people how we can disagree and still be friends, how we can be a relationship of trust, respect, and honesty, and that I, that I walk, me, I talk. That's really the challenge for Mission Mississippi. So we do all those things I've heard it and went through. You can go to our website, missionmississippi.org, and there's some things that, on there that you can find out what we're doing. Uh, absolutely. We pray every Tuesday and Thursday at some church in Jackson or some ministry in Jackson, some organization in Jackson, some business in Jackson. We're praying at 6.45 a.m. We believe that, that we've been around for 21 years now because Christians in this city and across this state are coming together on a regular basis, praying for and with one another and building relationships that otherwise would not be built simply because a few Christians got together to pray. 
and, and we're challenging the body of Christ to do that. This October 23rd, we're going to celebrate uh, what we call uh, an annual racial reconciliation celebration banquet. That's a mouthful, celebration banquet. What we like to do at that banquet is recognize the strides and effort and energy of how far we've come in race relations in Mississippi. We want to celebrate. Don't say but. Just say celebrate. Don't say but. Say celebrate. I get black and white folks in the room, and they'll begin to talk about the things that have changed. They'll talk about three or four minutes about all the wonderful things that changed. Then they'll start this but come. Say, no, just leave but alone, and just let's just celebrate the small things. Whatever things you think we've changed in, let's celebrate those. And so we celebrate. This year we're going to honor... Uh, well, we're going to recognize, let me remove that word on it. We're going to recognize uh, Justin Reuben Anderson. Uh, some of you can recall that he was the first Supreme Court, Afro-American Supreme Court justice in Mississippi, and he'd been working throughout his life to help better relationships and race relations specifically in Mississippi. He's working hard now with the governor and others to bring about the Civil Rights uh, Museum for Mississippi. The, on the other side of the coin, uh, our intention is to recognize the, the efforts and energy of uh, Duncan Gray, Jr., along with Duncan Gray III, but more about Duncan Gray Jr. As you know, in the early 60s and doing Freedom Summit and other things, Duncan was out on the front lines doing what needs to be done to bring out better race relations in Mississippi. And, and yes, we're going to invite people to come to that and be a part of that and ask you to support and be a part of Mission Mississippi. We do things like that to put people in the room that otherwise would not be in the room to help build relationships across the racial and denominational divide that we've had for so long in Mississippi. We're planning with the denominational leaders, and get, get this, this is important, this is a big deal for me. I've had about 22 denominations to come together this year, and we're planning a big prayer time for the legislature on the first day of the legislature. All we're going to do is to pray for them and try to demonstrate by our lives how they ought to demonstrate their lives over the next four months while here in Jackson. <laughs> and, so, and so we need you praying and, and we're going to try to organize local prayer groups around the state at the same time uh, I visit with the lieutenant governor and with the governor and uh, I'm on my way to visit with the speaker of the house and we're trying to get them to convene the folk we believe if they would say come they will come but our goal is to get all the legislation together and to me whether we pull that off or not to have 22 different denominations to come into the room and sit down together and talk about how we can pray together that's a miracle within itself. So I'm excited about bringing that group together. That's part of what Mission Mississippi does, and so we push to do that. And so we're excited about that. We're excited about what Mission Mississippi does. Uh, just a little bit about our DNA. The whole catalyst of uh, stimulus that got Mission Mississippi started, that we wanted to do a civil crusade here in Jackson. And that was uh, started that talking about doing that citywide crusade, I think, in, in the early 90s. And I became a part of that group in 92, and we talked about it, and, 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 and it was coming out of the Christian Business uh, Committee and the First Presbyterian Church. Now, I get that picture in 92. This particular predominant white group is going to do a citywide crusade, and during the plan of that crusade, we figured out that it's going to be split down racial and denominational lines. And so Pat Morley came to Jackson and said, I want to minister in Jackson. God put it in my heart. And we told him no, and, and he don't understand no. We had to tell him three times we were saying no because he got excited each time we would tell him no. And, and, and so uh, Lee had to explain to him. He said, oh, I know you're saying no, but I'm excited anyway. I know you're going to say no. And, you know, uh, I passed for 20-some years. I never attended a business meeting where one side left saying, praise God, we lost that one, but it's praise God. I've never gone to a football game where the losers left saying, praise God, we're the losers. 
So Pat was a little different, and he brought his friend Tom Skinner to Jackson. He and Tom uh, had a meeting over at Primos Northgate. I was a part of that meeting. About 250 other people were there as well. The thing that struck me and still holds me together today is that what changed and transformed my thinking and my perspective was I saw this big black guy from Harlem, New York, and this little white guy from Orlando, Florida, and they were best buds. They were best friends. They talked about their relationship and how much they loved each other and how much trust and respect they had for one another. Even Tom talked about when he was having challenges with his family and marriage that Pat came to Harlem and visited with him and stayed with him and prayed him through that. And Pat talked about how when his business was going up, uh, belly up, how uh, uh, Tom came to Florida and, and stayed in his home and prayed with them. They talked about their relationship, and they ended that with an embrace. And they was in tears and in emotion, and they embraced each other and talked about they were willing to die for one another. Me being a little country boy from, from uh, Tunica County, from a, a plantation, had been to all corn and back, and, and, and to see that changed my perspective because I don't think I'd seen two black men do that or two white men do that, but I saw a black man and a white man say they were willing to die for one another. That impacted me. And so the whole catalyst and stimulus has got Mission Mississippi started because we believe divided by race, divided by denomination, or any of these other categories that we classified ourselves in hinders the very gospel, the very message that we want to uh, promote in terms of Christianity and then we're unapologetic. I, I know that my conversation this morning about race and race relations in public with mixed company make people uncomfortable. We're unapologetic about that. We don't apologize for talking about race. We're trying to get those private conversations that each group has. White groups has private conversations. I have a friend, Dan Hall, and Lee Paris is a part of this. And even John Hugh tells me that when white folks get together and talk about black folks, there are things they say in private they won't say in public. I know from experience there are black folks, when they get together, they say things about white folks that they won't say in public. We're trying to bring that conversation to the table together and understanding and, and respecting each other because in actuality, we come from two different worlds. The black and white population in Mississippi comes from two different worlds, two different perspectives. I was raised in a community, and, and, and my white counterpart says there's no better community to be raised in. And all I can sense is pain and hurt and discriminatory actions and things that, that, that were perpetrated against me. This wasn't a great place for me. All I dreamed about was leaving and getting out of there. I wasn't thinking about going back there, but thank God I'm back in Mississippi. Dolphus wrote a book, Ain't Coming Back. He wrote it for a lot of us, but anyway, we celebrate that. And so we come to do different words. And so Mission Mississippi is trying to change that in terms of bringing people together to share those uh, two perspectives that you can understand how I can be in a, not that you got to embrace my belief, but can you embrace me? Can you accept me? You don't have to agree with everything. My wife and I have been married, for, well, we'll be celebrating 43 years on October the 7th. And she's still working on me, trying to get me to understand that she's right and I'm wrong. You know how that works, right? <laughs> and you know, after 43 years, we still can't agree. My baby daughter used to say, uh, to my wife when we would go vote, my, my baby daughter would say, Dietrich would say to Thomas, saying, Mama, don't you go vote because you're going to cancel out my daddy's vote. And if she would hear our discussion, if she would hear our discussion today, it would be something similar the same way because we don't always vote for the same person. But I don't have to be an adversary of her just because she won't vote for the right person because she votes for the wrong person. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but the, the thing that we have in common is Jesus Jesus, Jesus. The thing we have in common is that we love each other. We could have committed our lives together forever. Speaking of that, my oldest son is here with me, Arwen, and I'm glad that he's here with us this morning. And, and so when you think about that, also we have Alcorn State University in common. That's why I met. I met her on the tennis court 
at a dance one hot summer night in, in, in July. Isn't that the place to meet your wife on a hot summer? But anyway, <laughs> and, and we've been together ever since, and so I'm excited. But we don't always agree. Certainly about how she spend my money, we don't. <laughs> Never agree. So anyway, that's the DNA of Mission Mississippi. We're issue-based. There are things that we disagree on. We believe those issues and things ought to be addressed through a relationship, through a relationship that's built on trust, respect, and honesty. And there's other things to that slide. I won't go there with that. But I'm going to spend the rest of my time talking about James, the second chapter. I understand that you all are in a series of, of sermons on your walk, our walk. In James, the second chapter, I'm going to try to cover the whole chapter. I may read longer than I preach here. And somebody said, I thought he was through. But anyway, I'm not. <laughs> Let's see, can we get James, the second chapter, read? And I think we can uh, uh, move on through this. James, the second chapter. Uh, in that chapter... There, there, there are several things I want to point out in the second chapter of James. James, in the, in the first chapter, as you probably are aware, James talked about immature Christian and how a mature Christian is. He compared the immature Christian with the mature Christian, and he talks about how a mature Christian ought to do. In the second chapter, James talked about uh, how a, a mature Christian live or, or the practice or their belief of, of taking the truth they've learned and put it in action taking the truth they'll learn and living it out in their lives. And so th that's the essence of, of, of the first uh, two chapters of what James is trying to get us here. And so he says, uh, beginning at the first verse, he, in the second chapter of James, he says, My brethren, do not hold faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly man uh, with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man and fill the clothes, and you pay attention to the uh, one that's wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place and you say to the poor man, you sit, you, know, you stand there or you sit here on my foot through uh, or sit on the floor. Listen, haven't you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Pay attention to that evil thoughts. Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? If you, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble at one point, he is guilty of all. For he who says, do not commit adultery, also says, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak, and so do, as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For the judgment is without, for the judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy trumps over judgment. What does, it profit, uh, what does it profit, my brother, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or a sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warm and feel, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. 
But someone will say, you have faith and I have work. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was it not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his work, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it, it was accounted to him righteousness. And he, and, he called the, he, and he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot who just, excuse me, likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by faith when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. Our walk, our faith, our belief. Uh, in the first part of that chapter, I believe James is, 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 is inviting us to, to act out our belief. Our behavior ought to resemble our belief. Our belief ought to resemble our behavior. And, and he, says, he says in this, he says, you know, uh, uh, as we think about this, there's a term called uh, nominology. Uh, I believe I'm pronouncing that word correctly. Really, it's the study of the law. It's a science of study of the law. And in that, it talks about the, the, the biblical aspects of the law. And so all our laws have biblical foundations. And so when we think about the, the foundation of, of the laws, here in James, I believe it's a practical application of what the law should be. He says, uh, when you invite someone into the, the home or into the assembly, and you are partial toward one, toward the other, James called that an act of unsocial evil, an unsocial evil in, in, evil in terms of giving partiality toward one, toward another. We all have felt the, the brunt of the, of, the, of, the, of the favor, I should say, of the fact that uh, somebody's shown us partiality and, and respect or, or, or partiality. I know many times and oftentimes uh, when I lived in, in Northern Virginia, uh, I was working out in the National Office of, of uh, uh, the agriculture department, sometimes I would go to the doctor with my blue jeans and T-shirts on. And sometimes I would go dressed as I am today. I want you to know the staff in the office treat me completely different when I dressed up and went to the doctor's office than I did when I was just with my blue jeans and T-shirts on. I don't know why, but something about the dress, the way we look. And, and, and I believe that's just a part of human nature. When I look at folks and I, you know, the first thing you got to notice is how they're dressed, right? The first thing you notice is how they look. You know, first impressions make a lasting impression. That's something we say. And so when we look at people, we form an impression. We form uh, uh, something about them just by observing them. And we come to conclusion. I remember when I was pastoring, some lady got up at one of our business meetings and said, uh, uh, we was in the heat of a discussion, she just said, I never liked you anyway. I just don't like the way you look. And I'm thinking, okay. <laughs> you know, it's okay to not to like me, but, you know, don't have to take, take it out on my looks. But look. And then he says, uh, listen, my beloved brethren, has not God chosen the poor of this world uh, it, uh, to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? But you've dishonored this person. He said he called that an unscriptural judgment. Many times and oftentimes, we make a judgment call on people simply by, uh, listen, we call it, I call it uh, reputation, representation, presentation, or experimentation. Which, which, which you make your judgment on? 
You make it on what somebody told you. I've made a lot of decisions based on what somebody told me about a person. I treated them according to how the other person treated them based on what? Man, you got to know that person. That person's like this. I remember one young lady uh, used to be so serving, and, and people said, well, that's just the way they are. Sometimes people say that about my wife. But anyway, by the way, if I want her to know anything that I say today, I'll tell her myself, all right? <laughs> and so we make a judgment call based on people's reputation, right? We make a judgment call every time we go to the poll based on what? Somebody's rep representation and presentation, right? We listen on what they represent and what they say they represent, and then they make a presentation to us, and we decide. Wouldn't it be wonderful, though, that we would get to know them and really know their heart and know their understanding and have an, experiment, uh, an experience with them understanding really who they are. And it takes time and energy. We don't always have time and energy to get to know folks, right? We got to make a, a, a call about whether or not we're going to vote for them, whether or not they're going to become a friend of ours, whether or not we're going to hire them, whether or not we're going to be sociable with them, whether or not we're going to connect with them, whether or not we're going to even move into a neighborhood. All of those things play out in our minds as we make decisions. And the Bible says if we make them on other than an, an, an experience with that person and really know that person, we're making a, an unscriptural uh, a judgment call about them. We're making, a unsocial, uh, we're making an unsocial evil in our thoughts and so forth because we have a respective of persons or we have a respective of a party or we have a respective of uh, school. And I, won't, I leave the school alone. That's... Football in Mississippi trumps God every single time. And so uh, since he can't get it under control, I won't mess with it either. And so we make these judgment calls. Mission Mississippi and the Bible and Jesus is pushing us to make these calls based on knowing a person, not really uh, based on what we don't know. I have people introduce themselves sometime and they'll get up and say, well, I know everybody. I've been living here all my life. Everybody knows me. Because I'm one of those guys like James. I look at the, one of the people in the room, like Linda here, and I say, okay, Linda, tell me everything you know about that person. And she looks at me like, I don't know him. I said, well, he just said you. Everybody in the room knows him, right? And then people say, well, I've been knowing these people a long time. And, 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 and again, I, I will play like James. And I say, okay, tell me about their children and where they go to school and what kind of challenge they have in their life. Well, I don't know that about them. They just live down the street from me. I don't know that. They, well, where I come from, when you know someone and they're your friend, you know the challenges they're facing in their life. You know where their children are going to school. You know something about them. You have some kind of connection with them other than the fact they live in your neighborhood, other than the fact they just go to your church or they're just uh, part of the parent that shows up at the soccer game or whatever. You know you have a deeper relationship with them. We're trying to push Christians to get to that deeper relationship, not only with with. with people that believe like you and sit with you every Sunday and live in your neighborhood and go to school with your children and connect with you in all of these different social settings, but we're trying to get people to connect together, the people that we don't know and that are strange to us, to get to know them across the racial and denominational body. He said, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well if you know, uh, 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 if you, but if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as a transgression. And James called this an uncivil transgression. So we talk about an, an unsocial evil, an unscriptural judgment, and an uncivil transgression. That's what uh, James talked about in the first half of that book, the first half of that chapter. He talks about our behavior should be based on what we believe. What we believe should be lived out in our behavior. And so we're trying to get people to work in harmony together 
to accomplish a shared vision or a shared goal. That's what Mission Mississippi is all about. And when we say unity, it's simply defined working together in harmony to accomplish a shared vision or a shared goal. What's the shared vision and the shared goal of the Christian body? To remove all these things I just talked about. To remove all of these things that people that are lost, people that are in hardship, people that are dying, people that are troubled will have a place that they can come to where they can sense and feel the presence and the love of God together. And that we won't allow these superficial things, these categorical things that we put ourselves into to hinder the fact that we can love one another and walk together and make our community, our state, and our nation a better nation. That we can pray for those that don't believe like us, that someday our presence and our love and our, and, and our showing for one another will convince them they're going wrong and we got it right and they can join us in what we're doing rather than judging them or laboring them or attacking them in that sense. And then second part of that chapter talks about faith in, in, in terms of that. And so I wanted to, to, to help you understand that God answered to this thing in unity. James talks about it in our belief. If you go back to the beginning of the Bible, it was in our beginning unity God created us in his image and his likeness. He put in us his DNA. He put in us relationship. He said it's not good that man should be alone after he had created everything and said everything is good. You remember that passage in, in Genesis 1.31? He, God looked at everything he had made and he said he went from verse 4, 10, 12, 18, 21, and 25. In those verses, if you read them, he said God saw it and said it was good. And then he, when he got to verse 31, he looked at what he had created and said it was very good. I believe the reason he went from good to very good is simply because he put you and I in verse 26 and 27 where he says God created us in his image and his likeness. Sometimes I'd be facetious to say he went from good to very good because he created Nettie. But, you know, everybody feels that way about themselves, right? That, that, that things are better because I'm here. And, and so, but in the 18th verse of the second chapter, he says, it's not good that man should be alone. So in us is the DNA of unity and oneness and a part of that. And we can't get along in this world. We can't survive. We can't conquer. We can't be all that God created us to be without an interconnection with another because he put that in us. Simply, relationships is part of our DNA. Our response to his creation is in us. He gave us the capacity to choose. So we can choose. We had a capacity to choose to, to, to love or not love anybody we big enough and bold enough to say, I don't love you, I'm not going to love you, I love you, I will love you, I will, be, I will allow you to be a part of my life, I'll do this. We had a capacity to choose. We all choose moment by moment. You chose. And even now, you're choosing to set through this. Whatever's going on in your mind, right, you're choosing that. I'm not going to disrespect him and get up and walk out. Thank you so much for not choosing to do that. And so you choose to do that. And then God says to us, listen, you got to take responsibility for what you choose to do. It's your responsibility. I like to say to the young folks, every decision you make today, every decision, whether you think it's insignificant, it's not important, every decision you make today is going to affect you for the rest of your life in some capacity, in some way or the other. So choose your decision very carefully. Make, uh, research it before you do it. Spend some time in prayer. Spend some time in counseling with your parents and with others, with the youth minister, with the pastor, with anyone that will get the information before you make those important, especially those important decisions because it's going to affect your life for the rest of your life. And, and the same goes for us as adults as well. And so in the second part of uh, the chapter, James says, now, here is our behavior, here is our belief. And he says, now, if your faith is, is dead, or it's only you have intelligent faith, 
is dead. And so he says, really, and, and James says it's not needed. Now, James says what you have is fake faith and a false faith song. That's really what he says in those verses. Fake faith and false faith. He says, if you say I have faith and you have no action and no deed to back it up, that's just dead. You're saying all the right things. You had an intellectual mind. You know the right passage to pull out. You know the right word to say. You look like you have the right faith. You even act like you have the right faith, except you're not doing anything with your faith. And this is not a, a, a controversy between what Paul said, that he says we are saved by faith, and James says that, that our faith dictates what we do and how we do it. And so here he's saying in this passage of Scripture that you have dead faith, dynamic, uh, dynamic, demonic faith, a dynamic faith. And so my challenge to you today uh, wh- what is your faith like in your walk, in your behavior? Can people look at you and decide that your faith is real and authentic? Or do you have to convince them that your faith is real and authentic? I had a pastor that, that sat on a platform with me one day, and, and, and afterwards some people that, that knew me and, and, and knew him, and, 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 and they said, well, I've been working with that guy for a long time. I never knew that he was even a Christian, let alone a pastor. And I thought, boy, that's, I don't know whether that was an uh, a indictment of the person that was sending, an indictment of the person he was sending about, but something was wrong with that picture. If you've been working with somebody for that long and you didn't even know that they were a Christian, you should have been introducing yourself and, 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 you know, and trying to get them to be a Christian. And, and certainly there ought to have been some castigation, some action about that person would have said to you that they have some kind of faith, especially if they were pastors. So we have this, and we're around folks and, and, and do those things. And so here, uh, uh, dead faith just simply intellectual. Somebody just called it a mind faith, and, and we know. And, and James gives the example here. He says if, if a rich person comes in and a poor person comes in, if a person come in and, and say they're uh, destitute, and you just say to them, oh, be warm. Now, you're you, you destitute. How can you be warm? And then be well fed and go in peace. Now, if I got all that going on with me, there's no way I can go in peace. If I'm cold and destitute and, and, and don't have anything, how can I be warm and go forth and be faithful? He said, that's dead faith. And, and so he uses uh, uh, Rahab and Abraham as his uh, examples in here and our models to, to pattern ourselves after. He said Abraham was counted righteous simply because he obeyed God. Now, somebody has said this. Somebody said that faith is not just uh, following in spite of evidence. But faith is obeying in spite of the consequences. And so I invite you to read chapter 11 of Hebrews and you'll know in there that, that it talks about those that, that, that didn't count the cost. They just obeyed simply because they believed God. Simply because they believe God. It's impossible to please God without faith. And so, uh, and he even talked about demonic faith. And I thought, why are you talking about demonic faith? He said, even the demons believed and trembled. They had the intelligent mind to know that there is a God and who God is. And they trembled. They had emotions. And, and so we have our minds with truth and have our hearts stirred, but we don't do anything with that which make us emotional. James called that 
demonic faith. And then he talks about the dynamic faith, and that's what we ought to be doing as it relates to race, as it relates to gender, as it relates to all the things that in our society that's causing us to be separated. We ought to have dynamic faith. Our faith ought to supersede a lot of these things that separate us and divide us simply because we are obeying God because our faith is a faith of not only a truth of mind and intelligent faith, but also it's a change of heart faith. And it's a faith that our will will act upon. Not only do we believe it, not only do we want to believe it and desire to believe it from a heart perspective, but we will to do it and we act on it. And we don't always act on it based on the consequences of it, but we act on it because this is what we believe and this is what we act upon. The challenge from Mission Mississippi's perspective is that you would have a faith that will not only stir your heart and, and your head, but it would guide your will and that you would operate according to what you believe about what God has said to us and that we would trust God even though we don't always know the consequences and the consequences may be beyond our comprehension but we would do that because we believe and trust God and we act on our faith. Let us pray together. Father, what a privilege it is to uh, share your word. What a privilege it is to hear your word. Your Bible and your word says to us faith coming by hearing and hearing by the word of God. God, we pray today for each one of us that the word of God will educate us. The word of God will enlighten us. The word of God would encourage us. The word of God would build us up. But more importantly, that the word of God would change us, that we will be different, never be the same again. Bless us now as we go forth from this place, oh God, that we would live out what we believe in our behavior, in our actions, in our activities, in our acts, that people will know that we are your disciples. Bless us together now in Jesus' name. Amen.